Welcome to our election special episode. This uh, time we're looking at the Greens, the lack of a green wave maybe or maybe the potential for them to pick up a few seats. But in particular, we're looking at the rural green vote. Now, there's been a lot of chat all the time about how when the economy is doing okay and when people in Dublin are totally chill, they tend to throw a few votes to the green. Green Party. Um, That obviously is the case. We saw that a lot during the local elections. But we're kind of looking at things more so about how green politics is kind of being pitted against each other as a rural urban divide, which we don't think is very fair or true. But perhaps that's happening. Will the Greens be able to pick up some seats in rural Ireland? And will um, one of the most high profile Green Party politicians besides Green Party leader Eamon Ryan who's had a pretty weak campaign it has to be fair is Saoirse McHugh who definitely connects with voters in the West and in Mayo there have been a bunch of other green related things that have been happening recently such as Extinction, extinction Rebellion at Fine Gael's HQ greenwashing um, Eamon Ryan has been trying to get his points through in the debates um, perhaps uh, the, the party membership and all that kind of stuff has been bolstered by the green wave um, so we're kind of also often very much hearing about green issues in Ireland being reduced to stuff around the size of herds and uh, various things that um, really are specific essentially to um, cattle and beef farming and that uh, part of agriculture and with regards to how um, how our agriculture economy is quite focused on that and how that uh, screws us up when it comes to meeting our emission targets. So to talk about these things, uh, we're going to really the only woman that I think we should be going to to talk about them and that's Saoirse McHugh, um, who is running in Mayo. Uh, she's up against it there. You know, the Greens got like less than 2% in the in the last election of a vote out there. Obviously, uh, her profile rocketed during the European elections. So we're going to have a chat with her about all these issues, including the media reaction um, to her interview with uh, the great Alan Coyne, um, a video on Twitter there where people were saying this is completely radical when in actual fact it's kind of stuff that Saoirse has been saying all along. So spend some time with Saoirse McHugh over this next episode and enjoy. Hello, Saoirse. Hello. <laughs> How has your campaign been going? How are you feeling? Oh, um, well, it, I suppose it changes, literally it changes every 20 minutes. I spend some part of every day in tears and then I spend the rest of the day plotting what I'm going to do when I take over. <laughs> um, so it's quite a roller coaster, to be honest. It's been an interesting one because obviously... Um, Green issue. I mean, green is such a weird uh, catch-all term, but issues around uh, the climate crisis, around climate justice, around the transition, around biodiversity, around environmental issues and so on have been so dominant in global discourse over the last year and certainly were dominant at the locals. But for some reason, um, they have been sidelined uh, in this campaign. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and I think for very obvious reasons, like... Well, it's twofold, I suppose. One reason, I think, is that we still view and we still talk about climate action or climate change in terms of ice caps and in terms of rainforests burning down. And I think in Ireland, we still have to get to a point where we realise that, you know, we can't actually talk about housing without talking about climate action. And we can't talk about health or jobs or transport or any of these things without talking about climate action. And it has to be mainstreamed, I think, into all these policy areas, because obviously if you're 
struggling to pay rent if you're have the idea that you like if you if you don't have a home if you have an idea that you never will have a home you never will have a good job um then it's really hard i think to internalize the urgency of climate action because it has so far been kind of you know pictures of polar bears and pictures of koalas um and so i don't know will it will it shift again will it take another year until it's it's recognized as fundamental to how we talk about transport and how we talk about homes and how we talk about town planning because like that it, you know it is obviously your your most immediate needs are going to be your day-to-day needs um and i wouldn't i wouldn't expect people to think otherwise you know um your interview with Alan Coyne was typified by some people as quite radical. Um, even though your thoughts are really much on the record, what does radical change look like to you? And do you think your thoughts are more in chime with the actual electorate um, than they are with the media's perception of it? Oh, totally. And more than the media's perception of it, I think there were certain elements in the media who like to control the conversation um i know from knocking on doors that there is resounding support for guillotines in mayo um <laughs> and honest to god like after that i was like jeez i could top the pole here because um, you know it is like people can pearl clutch all they like but the reality of it is that you know lots of people are are hurting and i don't think i don't think anyone thinks it's radical to say that we need public services and we need to stop selling off public wealth and people would prefer a single tier healthcare system that everyone gets seen to rather than um, you know pouring billions into the National Children's Hospital and I don't think it's radical I think what the reaction to that video was just a few people not wanting the conversation to go there at all now maybe I'm wrong Um but yeah, some of the rea- reactions were ridiculous to that. And like that, I don't think a lot of what we're talking about is radical. Like it's not radical to, to think, oh, geez, wouldn't it be great if everyone could have a home or everyone had health or we didn't have to go down this weird American um, deserving and undeserving poor kind of route. Like most people realize that if society is doing better, they're doing better and there's certain needs that can only be expressed as a society and as a collective. One of the reasons that we um, like talking to you is that there is a perception that the the green movement or green party politics, let's say, politically is Dublin-led. But if many of the green, let's just call them green issues. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to find a better way. I'm just, whatever. Issues that the Green Party is most concerned with are related to rural Ireland, then surely the solutions are going to come from rural Ireland. What do you think about that? Yeah, and that whole, all oh, the Greens are um, Dublin-centric, that is pushed really hard. Like I even had a fellow from Castlebar, uh, who's a Fianna Fáil councillor, start on me one day about how I couldn't possibly understand rural Ireland because, you know, it's a long way from leafy suburbs we are here. And I was looking, I'm like, Jesus, I'm from Ackle. It is the most windswept, barren, devoid of any leaves place in Ireland. But regardless, he just went for that. Um, and 
I often wonder why that is. I suppose it's it's a very handy narrative to push because in actual fact, I think not just as solutions to a lot of climate change problems in rural Ireland, but I think rural Ireland could do brilliantly out of them. And I do think a lot of the, um, I suppose the problems with rural decline could be treated with solutions to climate breakdown um, and they could have a lot of the same answers and perhaps that's a bit worrying to for people to to realise because rural Ireland has been a stronghold of centre-right politics for years in Ireland. Especially, I suppose, uh, rural policies always seem to be based around the herd and the numbers of the herd and reducing it and increasing it and all that jazz. So how do you think we approach a farming conversion to a more sustainable products a and practices? How do we convince people who all their lives have been about the herd to look at other ways and look at other things and diversify? Yeah, well, I suppose... One thing on that is that rural Ireland is not a homogenous section either. Like there are areas of rural Ireland doing really well agriculturally. Mm. Now in Mayo, that is not the case. Like it's it's mostly suckler farmers, a lot of sheep farmers. And for years, um, people have seen the quality of life of farmers and the disposable income of farmers decreasing. And so, so many of the things that farms do in Mayo and so many of the, well, so many of the issues that are restricting them under current farming policies like um, land designations or stocking numbers can be remedied or can be turned into a positive. So what I was thinking was like, we, you know, we'll have an opportunity every few years, every six or seven years to redefine our agricultural policy. And this year coming up, the states are getting a, a load more leeway from Europe. And what we could do there would be insist that because farming is about so much more than just kilos of beef produced, if we could start to value those things that up until now have been a burden on, I would say, the vast majority of farmers. So if we could pay for carbon sequestration and pay for wildlife on farms and pay for clean rivers and flood relief, then I suppose farmers would be less forced into deciding between, you know, another couple of feet of uh, productive land and ripping up a hedgerow, which is where it has gotten to. And I do think a lot of farmers in Mayo, especially, realise that there is no future for them in industrial farming. Um, And across, across Ireland, there's no real future for industrial farming because we are so small and we will never compete in terms of quantity. And I do wonder, actually, so uh, the European Green Deal was there, just published recently. And in it, they talk about wanting to put environmental footprint labelings on food. And what that could do, I think, would really give the more extensive farmers an avenue to, I suppose, maybe solidifying their position as, as having a superior product and a premium product. But across the board, it will be down to keeping farmers on the land and paying them for environmental steps. Um, what? How do you think we get the focus of commercial viability onto the smaller producers and away from the big beef barons and the bigger industry heads who are controlling that, apart from the premium products? But like, if they're in competition with the big guns, I suppose, is it possible for them to take back control? 
I think it is um, because I think like if you look at any advert for Irish beef, say, or if you look at an advert for Irish milk, it you never you never see a feedlot, and there's no picture of you know five thousand head of of livestock units. There's always a picture of you know one farmer and his nephew or his grandson in a field with one cow, and so ah, Mark, inter- internationally, the image that's being sold is that of these smaller scale farmers and like I often wonder you know like I don't think they're the task force is going to get, the beef task force is going to give them what they want and part of me is like look you know you can't beg for the keys to the kingdom you just have to you know build your own and I personally think where it will end up will be the farmers getting together and developing their own routes to sale because for so long now um, meat processors have been kind of exacerbating the problem um, along with retailers and along with enormous um, I suppose factory owned feedlots that are controlling the price so while yes they will need support to stay on the land over the next few years I think they will just have to and it will have to come from them with the support of the public they will just have to force the agenda towards this environmental footprint and look at the premium product we have and I think if they can lean in to environmental labelling and if they can get the communities to support them then I think they eventually will break a lot of the power that is rested with the much bigger farmers but should this is across the board like it's the exact same in fishing and everything um, you know it, there's a few <laughs> there's a few enormous fishermen getting a lot of the quota getting a lot of the money um but on an ad, it's a tiny little boat with two people fishing out of Baltimore or something. We saw, um, I don't know if you were watching uh, Jack Chambers lose the rag and clever and about Fianna Fáil's climate change policy, um, yeah. which includes online yeah, pornography. What do you think of, if you've kind of looked at the different parties' um, climate change policies, leaving your own party aside, what do you think of them in their manifestos or even in their actions, um, which is probably a better place to judge them? And who's doing, who has some good ideas and whose ideas are a load of womp? Um, well, I suppose folks, I would, I would always focus more on what they do because, you know, it's very easy to look at Fianna Falls and Fine Gael's and think, oh, that doesn't sound like the type of people who would push through the Shannon LNG. Um, but then they do. And so it kind of what they say they're going to do and what they say they care about becomes irrelevant when they're like, yes, well, we love the environment, but not in that way. Um, and then PBP, I think, has, you know, they've been pretty strong. I know Breed Smith has been excellent herself in terms of that uh, climate emergency bill. And I do think it might get through in the next government. Maybe that's just hope, but it's, I suppose it's an inevitable bit of legislation. Like we have to stop new fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, To be honest, I haven't read Sinn Féin's climate or biodiversity manifestos at all. Um, I keep meaning to get around to it and I haven't read Labour's either, but I know the Sock Dems have a pretty good one on biodiversity. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised to see that. And of course, like they are too, Two separate but intertwined issues, um, and once again, like it will be just down to how the parties vote. Because, like, listen, I've been at some hustings and listen to what people say, 
like they're criticizing things you know they've voted for and they're doing this at a meeting and it's just so shockingly disingenuous that it almost it's almost makes totally irrelevant anything they say I always say to in a uh, politics is it's just so political why can't it be less political yeah exactly <laughs> we can but dream uh Thank you so much, Sersha. We'll let you go and get back on that joyous canvas. Thank you so much for giving us your time. We know you're up to your eyes and best to look at the weekend. Thanks for having me, girls.